Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Psalms. And uh, all week I've been thinking about uh, the message this week because we talked about the gospel is the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We saw this is the mission. This is what we are about. This is what we must be about because there are too few that are about this mission. And that's why we're here. There are other reasons why we're here, but no less that is why we are here. But not only that, we looked at the land of Israel. We looked at its significance in the word of God. And we looked at that because there is great question marks in some people's minds. And there was the resolution 2334 that was condemning Israel. And our own leaders in the past had abstained and balked at making the kind of statement we might like to have been made regarding such resolutions. And so we wanted to step back and say, well, what does the word of God have to say about the land of Israel? And I tried to show, I think, how the scriptures are clear. The land belongs to the Jewish people. This morning, I want to talk about another aspect of things that are somewhat related, but are more particular for us. And that is the issue of unity. The elders, we have been talking about it. I've been praying deeply about it. I've been thinking about it. I've been trying to wrap my head around what is the, what is the nature of unity. And we need to have unity. We need unity on our elder board. You need to pray for us for unity among our, your leadership here. There needs to be unity among the congregation. We need to be one. And we need to move forward as one. We have a transition we're going to be making. We need to be making before March 31st. We need to make it unified. We need to have these things clarified so that we're not continuing to battle in areas we should no longer need to battle, but to move forward in doing what God would have us to do. So I was prompted to some degree as I had been thinking about this and then encouraged by it because of the inauguration. Because there was a comment that Trump had said that I found to be really spectacular. I'm sure there are a number of comments that he made that were wonderful statements, but this was one that struck me rather uh, starkly, rather directly. Because he says, the Bible, this is what he wrote, said, the Bible tells us how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. So we must speak our minds openly, debate our disagreements honestly, but always pursue solidarity. Isn't that a great line, you know? And so I thought, you know, we need to think about this too. 
Because there are disagreements. We don't all agree the same thing because we're a very eclectic group here. Some of us are very Pentecostal. Well, you know, that's a relative term. <laughs> we'll just say some are Pentecostal. Some wish they were Pentecostal, you know. I wish I was Pentecostal in many respects, you know. Some of us can be very fundamentalistic. That's a tough one for me. It's a very legalistic kind of ways, formulaic kind of ways of approaching things. And other of us are more free-flowing and easygoing. Some of us are, have certain issues in our lives that we feel need to really be addressed very uh, concretely. Other of us have other issues in our lives. There's differences of agreement, differences of focus or emphasis. But somehow we have to land where we are unified. We're certainly unified on who Messiah is, right? We don't have too many disagreements there, do we? You know? We certainly have unity in terms of what we need to be about. Others need to know the Lord. We certainly need, certainly we should be unified on, we got to get the gospel to the Jewish people, you know? Yeah, all people need it, but we must get it to the Jewish people. And if I appear sometimes to be passionate about that, even perhaps some might say uh, confrontational about it, or even rude about it, I don't intend to be that way. But you need to know, that's my heart. You know, that's my heart. And that's why I'm here. I didn't come 3,000 miles, you know, from the East Coast to pastor a church. I could have stayed in Annapolis. I came because I want to bring the gospel to Jewish people in an area where there's a lot of them. And there are 600,000 here. We need to do that. And I make no apologies for it. So I want to look at what the scripture says about unity. Because I think there are wrong ideas about it. We think it means everybody agrees about the same thing about everything. That's like uniformity. But that's not what the scripture says. In fact, the scripture is very different. The scripture is about diversity that comes together in unity. Not everyone is the same or even is focused on the same, but we need to be focused on some same things if we're going to move forward in being successful in the calling God has called us to. So Trump made reference to Psalm 133. And that's where I want to draw our attention to, because this Psalm tells us where unity comes from. It tells us where it comes from. It tells us what it does. And it tells us how to get it. And that's what I want for us. I want us to be unified. I want us to exhibit it. I want us to get it. I want us to exhibit it. And I want us to maintain it. So let me read some of these verses to you. The Hebrew is very beautiful, by the way. This is one of the most beautiful of Psalms, yet it's one of the smallest of them all. It says, A song of a sense of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers, brethren, it doesn't just mean men, men and women, dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. I don't know, that sounds messy to me, but, you know, 
to imagine the anointing of the high priest of Israel. And when we do that, then it starts taking on a little bit more of a beautiful flavor. You know, sometimes people come up, they want prayer. Would you anoint me with oil? I just take a little dab. We put it on their forehead somewhere and we pray. But that's not what's going on here. Here they are pouring oil out. Now, it's not going all the way down to his feet, but it's getting down on the collar of his robe, you know. And it then goes on to say, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. By the way, can I, is the heat on? Can I get the heat just uh, turned off? Is there anybody else warm? I mean, yeah, there they go. The hands are going up. Open the doors, man. Let's just, let's just cool this place off a little. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, before we look at its context, let me just point out some really interesting statements. First of all, he begins by saying, Hine, behold, how good and how pleasant. That word Hine is a key word in scripture. You know, different writers use it for different purposes. Isaiah is one who uses the word hine over and over. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child. They shall call his name Emmanuel. It is oftentimes, most often, I'm, I'm cautious to say always, but it's most often used to introduce something extraordinary, something great, something supernatural, as in Isaiah 7.14, something that draws our attention And it's something that is desired above all other things. So the writer is saying, David is saying, behold, you got to take a look at this. What I'm about to talk about is extraordinary in nature. It is that people of all different backgrounds, people of all different walks of life, people of all different spheres can come together as brothers who are one. That's what he's saying. Now, David you have to consider, was a man in great conflict with many others. He was in conflict with Saul. He was in conflict with Saul's armies. He was in conflict with the enemies around him. When you think of David's life, at what point in his life could he say, behold, look at this unity, because he was always on the run. There's only a small window where this was experienced by David. He probably is thinking about, reflecting on the moment in Hebron when finally all of his consternation comes to an end as Saul perishes and no longer is coming after him and he's anointed for the second time as king over Israel. There'll be a third anointing, but here at least now, the kingdom is now under his control as it were. And all are rallied around him. And he says, how wonderful and how beautiful. It's unfortunate that within a very short time, maybe no more than 10 years, maybe less, the unity dissipates. And he's at war with his own family. And he's at war with those who align themselves with his family members who are revolting against him. So for David, he sees unity is not a common thing. Unity has not even been a common experience of his own kingdom. Unity has been something that has been unique and extraordinary. And when he's experienced it, how wonderful and glorious and beautiful it has been. He tells us here not only that, but I want you to see something else. 
if he was, when he speaks of unity, he's telling us, number one, it is a gift from God. It does not come from the bottom up. It comes from the top down. It's the oil that comes down over the head and flows down to his collar. It doesn't come up, it goes down. It's like the dew that comes down from the skies and falls on Mount Hermon as well as Mount Zion. In other words, it's a gift from God. You cannot, you cannot manufacture this. It's a blessing from God. It is granted to us from God. It's not something you can work at. It's something that is there or not. And so God has to cause the dew to fall. God has to determine the man upon whom the oil is to flow. It is he who provides the unity in the manner that he does, rather than somehow we force ourselves into some kind of configuration that we then call unity, but is not unity, for it's not from above. So first of all, it comes from God. In fact, this is emphasized over and over again. It comes from the head down. It comes from the skies down. And if you look, and those in my Hebrew class will appreciate this. But if you look in verse 2, you'll see, and beginning of verse 3, you'll see a Hebrew verb that is reiterated three times. It's meant to be emphasized. It's the Hebrew word yarad. My Hebrew class hasn't learned that verb yet. But yarad means to descend. And if you look, it says that it's like the oil that, number one, runs down on the beard. Number two, runs down on the collar. Number three, that runs down on the mountains of Zion. It comes down from the top. It comes from God to us. It is a gift and a blessing from him. But it's not only a gift that comes down from the top. It's a gift that can impact both the small as well as the great. It can impact the poor as well as the rich. It can impact the gifted ones as well as the not so gifted ones. Look what he says. It flows down from Mount Hermon and it falls or the dew falls on the mountains of Zion. You know, the, the geographical um, difference between Mount Hermon and Mount Zion is over 200 miles. Mount Hermon is in the north of Israel, north of the Sea of Galilee, on the Syrian-Israel border. It's a mountain of about 9,000 feet above sea level. Okay, it's not like the Rocky Mountains, which are, what, almost 20,000 feet above sea level or so. Or Mount Everest, which is like, can you believe this, five miles up. I'm pretty sure it's about five miles up. I think that's right. But it's like the tallest mountain in Israel. And yet the dew also falls on Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem, which is a mountain of sorts. But in comparison to Mount Hermon, it is nothing of a mountain. And it's the last mountain range, really, because then you come into the Negev, south of Jerusalem. And so what is David saying? He's saying not only is it a gift from God, this unity that descends from top to bottom, but he says it is to permeate all kinds of people because it can hit the Mount Hermons and it can benefit the Mount Zions. 
It can go in all kinds of geographical areas and it can reach down to all kinds of people. He says a third thing. Not only is this unity such a good thing, it's such a blessing because it's the gift of God and because it has ramifications for all kinds of people. But he also says it's something that is to be exhibited and thereby impacting others. Because if you look closely, he says it's like the precious oil that flows down from Aaron's head. It's not just oil. It's not Mazzola oil or even one of the great oils from Italy. It's a precious oil. You know what he's referring to? If you look at his Exodus chapter 30, you'll see where God tells Moses how to make the oil that is to anoint the high priest and all the items in the temple. It's not normal oil. It's got to be made with olive oil. It has to have in it cinnamon. He tells us there needs to be cassia. I haven't even heard cassia. But it's like an eastern type of cinnamon. And then it has an aromatic cane. I have no idea what that is. But it has all different kinds of spices. And he tells them the dimensions of those spices that are to mixed in the oil. And as it comes on Aaron's head and onto his collar, as he moves around the people, they can smell the fragrant aroma. And they are benefited by it. You know when things are in order. And you know when things are not. You don't need to tell people. You sense things. And that's what people sensed when Aaron moved among the people. They smelled the fragrant aroma of what the high priest represented, the very presence of God. And thereby, it permeated and impacted and blessed those around us. When there's unity, it blesses others. When there's unity, it attracts others. When there's unity, it draws attention to the goodness, mercy, and grace of God. So how important is unity? Extremely important. It's a gift of God. Every one of us is engaged in it. Every one of us can disturb it. It is something that will impact others. And will have a aromatic, can have an aromatic effect on those around us. But not only that, but David tells us unity is a foretaste of heaven. Look what he says at the end. He says, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It has an eternal feature to it. The unity that exists is a foretaste of heaven. You want to get a, a taste of heaven? You need to be in a unity kind of gathering. There has to be oneness. Now, it's very easy to disturb oneness. Because unity being from God means that that which will disturb it is sin. That's what disrupts unity. And unity is critical from the very beginnings of time. When God creates Humanity, he says it's not good for the man to be alone. He must be in unity. So he creates a woman to be with him. Not just to be with him, 
But he says to be so joined together that they become echad, one, a unity. The two become one. They are to leave father and mother, cleave to one another, and become one, echad. God intended unity to be the manifestation of his very blessings and grace in marriage, in community. In fact, when you go further in, you find out that it is the very manifestation of God himself. Every morning we say the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is Echad. He is one. But though they are one... Just like the man and woman, they are distinct. The man is the head of the, of, the, of the wife. That's what Paul says. The woman is to submit out of love for the, for the Messiah to her husband. In the, in the Godhead, unity is seen in diversity. The father sends the son. The son doesn't send the father. The son obeys the father. The father doesn't obey the son. Where do you read that? You never read that. You read the Father sends the Son. You read the Son says, not my will, but your will. You don't read the Father saying, I'll do your will and maybe you'll do mine or whatever. And you don't see the Holy Spirit sending the Messiah. You see this Messiah sending the Holy Spirit. You don't see the Messiah filling the body of Messiah. You see the Spirit of God fills. He's the one that baptizes. He's the one that descends on the Messiah. There are distinctive functions. But there's unity because there's cooperation with regard to their roles and their function. So if there's going to be unity, there has to be a recognition of roles and there needs to be a respect for those roles. And there needs to be a cooperative, unifying desire to fulfill those roles of each individual, each person. So you see that in the Godhead. You see the significance of this in that this is what Messiah spends, well, John records at least, a chapter of his prayer in John 17. It's a prayer about unity. And his prayer on unity is that the congregation of believers would be one like we are one. With our distinctive roles and functions and places of service and ministry. So you find that Humanity was created for unity. You find God exists in unity. You see that the Lord prays that we might be in unity. And in fact, the very end of history is about unity. You know, in Zechariah, it says that when the Lord returns, Zechariah 14, it says at that time, his name shall be one and he will be one. So all of history is moving towards unity. And David says it here, even life evermore. Unity comes from God. It flows from the top to the bottom. Unity is meant to impact everyone. The Mount Hermans and the Mount Zions. Unity is meant to bless others. For it to manifest a fragrant aroma. And unity is... To bring life and fullness of blessing. It's a foretaste. A foretaste of heaven. So how? How does, is unity achieved? 
For that, I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Now, the early body of believers was not a perfect body of believers. The early believers are a model of sorts, but they're not perfect. In the early congregation of believers, there was greed. As you find Ananias say, we're going to give all this to the congregation, but then they turn around and say, no, we're holding some back. There was division. I'm for Apollos, I'm for Paul, I'm for Peter, I'm for Cephas, I'm for Messiah. There was divisions. There were all kinds of problems that existed. And yet when you look at Acts chapter 2, this is telling as to how they attempted to achieve unity. Now look what it says in chapter 2. It says, and they, the believers, they devoted themselves... So they committed themselves to this. This was the heart and soul of their gathering together. And the first thing he mentions is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, I found that to be rather interesting to me because if I was them, I would have been saying, how can we recreate the experience we just had recorded in Acts 2? I would have been thinking about how can we get the Holy Spirit to have him do what he did when we all were speaking the way that, you know, in other languages and 3,000 came to faith and Peter stands up and it was just a marvelous mountaintop type experience. I would have looked to that. I might have looked to that. But it's interesting. That's not what they sought. They didn't seek to recreate something that was, but rather they looked to some other things. The first thing they looked to was to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the Word of God. The Word of God is what they focus their attention on. What does it teach? Now, there are different ways things are interpreted. Different word, that's why there are Presbyterians and Baptists. They interpret things different. That's why there are Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals. They interpret some things differently. We can talk about devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, but we have to come to agreement as to what is it telling us. How do we understand it? Are we united on all of these things or on some of these things? One of the apostles' teachings is what I mentioned in, John, in Romans 1.16. It's an apostles' teaching. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. We're all in on that, right? That's how individuals can be saved. We need to proclaim the gospel, the message that Messiah came, he died, he rose again, he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, he's coming again. And he says it's to the Jew first. Well, what does that mean to us? I can tell you, and I have told you what it means to me, it means we need to be about the business of getting the gospel to the Jewish people. For me, that's the apostles' teaching. That's what I'm committed to. I want you to know that. Because I want us to be mobilized to see the lost sheep of the house of Israel come to know Messiah. Do I not want others to come? Of course I do. I want people in Turkey to come to the Lord. I want this man to be released. But I'm not in Turkey. And that's not my heart's desire. That's why I'm not there. If it was, I'd be there. But it's not. My heart's desire was to reach the oceans, I'd be there. If God's calling on my heart was to be in Nairobi, I'd be there. But it's not. 
For me, it's the gospel needs to get to the Jewish people. Exclusively, no. Preeminently, yes. Primarily, yes. That's where my heart is at. Now, you may not join me in that heart. I'm not asking you to. But what I am telling you is, that's what we need to be about. Now, am I the only one here that feels that way? I really want you to think about this. Because if I am, I'm in the wrong place. You know, I'm just in the wrong place. I don't want to be an impediment to what we need to do here. And I will be. Because that's my heart. I can't do otherwise. Martin Luther said, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. I don't think of myself like Martin Luther, please don't misunderstand me. But that's where I'm at. And that's my 96th thesis. Is that's what I'm about. And I won't stop being about that. Whether when I was in Annapolis, I was about that too. Although I also was serving a people who were were non-Jews, it was a church, and I would not have attempted to try to make them be what I would like it to be in terms of a Messianic congregation. I didn't even have a desire to do that, because that's not what they were about. I was desired to serve them, and so I just conformed myself to them, but they wanted to know Jewish stuff, so I was really happy to teach them that. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here for another reason. And I hope you, you are too. I hope you can understand my heart. That's really what I'm trying to share with you. And I want to be an agent of unity, not of disunity. I want to be a fragrant that is good and pleasant. But if I'm not good and pleasant, I'll find where I should be. But that's important to me. It's important for all of you to know, the elders as well as everyone else. Because that is really powerful for me. So when I see the apostles teaching... Yes, it's about the deity of Messiah. Yes, it's about the soon coming Messiah. Yes, it's about the death of Messiah. Yes, it's about all of those things. But it's also about to the Jew first, for me. It's also about my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. It's also about doing Jewish things. We can strategize how much, how little. But enough that when Jewish people come in here, they feel safe. They feel like, I want to hear about Messiah, and I don't feel safe in churches. Too many crosses. Too many different kinds. And crosses are fine. You know, I'd say you can't have a cross. Please, don't misunderstand. But some of that stuff is hard for Jewish people. Some Jewish people. Not all Jewish people. I get that. But for some Jewish people, that's hard stuff for them to hear the good news. I'm concerned about those some Jewish people. For whom those images or those signs or those days are a problem for them to hear the word. Because my heart's desire is for them to hear the word. That's how I feel about it. I'm willing to think about it. (laughs) I'm just trying to share with you my heart. And it's been laborious for me in some contexts. So that's what I think about when I read, where's unity come from? We have to be agreed on what we understand the apostles' teaching to be. Not just the broad strokes, but the particulars as well. We can disagree on the particulars, but if I'm going to be leading, I have to also, you need to understand what I understand the particulars to be that must be a part of the ministry I'm a part of. 
So I know this is heavy. <laughs> I mean it for it to be heavy. But it's, it's painful for me. And I just want you to see who I am. This is who I am. He tells us we're to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We're to be devoted to fellowship. Koinonia. You know what that means? It means community. It doesn't just mean coming, saying hi. <laughs> How you doing? It means genuine caring. That's why the, those people that had were willing to give up what they had to help those that did not have. They had genuine community. It wasn't forced on them. It was naturally desired because they were so unified around the apostles' teaching. It always comes back to the word of God. You know, that's the foundation piece. And so when there's disruptions there in how we interpret certain things, some things we can hold to differences, some things we can't. But when we're unified on that, we can care for one another. We can care for one another in order to meet each other's needs. He tells us, this is how you have unity. Remember, that's what we're talking about, apostles' teaching. You know, Peter is the apostle to the, to the Jews. You're going to join him, that's what he's doing. Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to join him, you're headed out. You're going other ways, other places. Here, Paul is saying, we need to get unified on what the scriptures teach. There's much more that can be said. We've got to be unified on it. And that means we've got to make choices. And all those choices have ramifications. We've got to be unified. But if we're going to move from this place, we've got to move unified. Not carrying with us our disunifying elements. So we've got to be unified on the apostles' teaching. We don't have to dot the same dots and cross the same T's, but some of them we do. We have a doctrinal statement in our Constitution that does such things. We need to be there. The second thing is, we need to be caring for one another. The third thing he says is, and I found this interesting, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The Greek has the definite article. The breaking of bread and the prayers. I've never felt this way. I've never interpreted the passage this way, but I'm starting to. I think what he means in this verse, the breaking of bread, is related to communion, the Lord's Supper. I never did before, but I'm thinking it is. Because he connects it with the word and, kai, the prayers. Not just prayer, but the prayers. I think he's talking about worship. And so worship was... Conducted with the breaking of bread in memory of Messiah who gave his life for us. So I think he's saying the way to have unity is, number one, we've got to be unified on the teaching. Number two, we have to be unified in terms of caring for one another. Number three, we have to be unified in worship. Now the reason I say it's different because if you look at verse 46, he says every day they worshipped in the temple together. You know, there were 3,000 that came to faith after Peter preached. Where are they going to congregate? Well, probably Solomon's porch, huge area of the temple, and they could gather there. And so that's what it says here. They gathered together in the temple. But now look what it says. But they not only gathered in the temple, they also gathered together and breaking bread. Now the definite article is not there. It doesn't say the breaking of bread. Now it's breaking bread in each other's homes. I think here it means they ate together. They spent time together. So, what is unity? It comes from the top down. It's a gift from God. Who does it impact? It, impact, it can impact everyone. The Mount Hermon types and the Mount Zion types. 
what are its ramifications, is to be a fragrant, a beautiful fragrance to everyone that comes in our sphere because it's precious oil. And it's a foretaste of heaven if we can achieve it. I say it's rare. David says, it's, behold, this is unbelievable. It was rare in his life. But it can be achieved. How can it be achieved? It can be achieved when we're devoted to teaching of the scripture. And we're unified on its meaning. Have to be unified on its meaning. Otherwise we keep arguing over what it means. Have to be unified in its teaching. Have to be unified in worship and in praise. Have to be unified in caring for one another. That's how it's done. Now, one of my favorite, all of our favorite commentaries or writers is Spurgeon. This is just one of, I think, eight or nine volumes. This is seven. One of eight or nine volumes of his commentary on the Psalms. So he he spent a lot of time thinking of this. And I want to just close with this comment he makes. He says, oh, for more of this rare virtue... Talking about unity. Not the love which comes and goes, but that which dwells. Now listen, don't let these guys distract you. Not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together. Not that mind which is all for debate and difference, but that which dwells together in unity. Never shall we know the full power of the anointing till we are of one heart and of one spirit. Never will the sacred dew of the spirit descend in all its fullness till we are perfectly joined together in the same mind. Never will the covenanted and commanded blessing come forth from the Lord our God Till once again we shall have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Lord, lead us into the most precious spiritual unity for thy son's sake. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll pray. And the ushers can come forward. Father, we thank you for this morning. You are a wondrous God that does marvelous things. You are a God who instirs within us a hunger for yourself. A hunger for your word. A hunger in service. A hunger in adoration and praise. A hunger to care for one another. A hunger to experience all that you have for us. So Lord, as we come before you this morning... There is a need, not only in our congregation, but no doubt in thousands upon thousands of congregations and churches around the world for unity. So, Father, we pray you would help us with that unity. May it descend upon us by your Spirit from above, and may we submit ourselves to it here below. May we see the significance, the beholdenness, as David says, of it. For it is a wondrous thing that when experienced can bring greatness of fullness, freedom, 
for your spirit to work. Joy unspeakable. Love that permeates every heart, soul, and mind. So Lord, we pray as Yeshua prayed for us that we might be one even as you are one. May you help us to achieve this as we devote ourselves to your word, to the deeds of one another, and to the worship and praise of your holy self. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we glorify your name. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.